Welcome to the River Fellowship Podcast. At River Fellowship, we desire to experience God, exalt Christ, embrace community, and engage the world. This week, lead pastor Daryl Anderson continues his series titled Real with part nine, Real Purchase. Three words and the magic mug describe and illustrate what it means to be bought at a price and to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. If you'd like to learn more about River Fellowship in Amarillo, Texas, go to rfamarillo.org. This morning we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Uh, We've been in this series entitled Real, where we've been looking at a real letter written to a real church, experiencing real problems, real issues, having real questions, and trying to make real application for ourselves today. Now, I had to... I have to apologize to you because last week I lied to you. I said that this week we would end the series, but we're not going to end the series until next week. When I was doing my preparation and study, I realized that the sermon I was planning was going to be about an hour long. (laughs) I don't think any of you would appreciate an hour sermon. I know those adults working with our children definitely would not appreciate that. So I've decided to, to break it into two. So we'll do part of it this morning. We'll do part of it next week. And next week, we'll kind of tie into and, and follow up, if you will, on what we'll talk about uh, today. But my hope with this is that it will help us understand. I think these two weeks is kind of the, 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 the culmination of how we can be sure the relationship that we have with God is real. So that's where we'll head. So let's look at our focal passage here, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? And you are not your own, you were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. I want to talk this morning about the concept of a real purchase. And we see it here in verse 20 where it says, you were bought at a price. Now, this has two implications and two dynamics to it, uh, the way that this phrase was used back in the day. One, it meant to acquire a possession. In other words, you, you, you have a price, you buy something at that price, and now that thing is yours. You own it, you control it, it's in your hands, it's, it's yours. And this is one idea, it's even prefaced here in our text in verse 19, it says, you are not your own. Now, this idea had a couple of uh, dynamics, too. One example would be, let's say you're a small business owner. And because you own the business, you're used to doing whatever you want to do with that business. You own the business, so you make the decisions and you make the calls. But then a larger corporation buys you out and buys your company, but they let you stay on as an employee. But there's a difference. Now you're working for someone else. You're no longer the owner doing whatever you want to do and making the decisions. Now you're doing it their way and following their decisions. Another example would be when you're single, but then you become married. There's a difference when you transition from singleness to being married. When you're single, you just do what you want to, go where you want to, eat whatever food you want to, when you want to, watch what you want to, go out, stay as late as you want to, go on vacation whenever you want to. You don't have to ask permission of anybody. You don't have to call anybody and notify. You just do your thing. But when you get married, that better change. (laughs) If it doesn't change, you're going to be in trouble. But now you don't just do whatever because there's some accountability now. But You're not your own anymore. 
That's this first dynamic here. And both of these play together. You're bought at a price means you now belong to a new owner and there is an accountability there. So that's one definition, you're bought at a price. The other implication that was used back in the day was the idea of a slave being free through purchase, called purchase redemption or purchasing freedom. There was a practice back in this day through many cultures called manumission. And it's when uh, a person could, could buy the freedom of a slave. So if you wanted this slave that you knew to be free, you would go to whatever temple you worshiped in and you would negotiate a price with whoever is the keeper of that temple, of that God, and you would, that person would pay the price, and then now this former slave would be set free and would have papers, and they could never be a slave ever again because technically, they now belonged to this God of this temple. This is exactly what Christ did when he bought us. He set us free. We were slaves to sin and bondage in sin, and so when he paid the price of himself, his death on the cross. He set us free and we can no longer ever be a slave to sin again because we've been set free. So when it talks about here, about being bought at a price, both of these dynamics are being discussed and it's what Paul is trying to indicate. One, you have a new owner that you're accountable to, but at the same time you've been set free. So the idea here is, yes, we've been set free but we're not free to do whatever we want to do. We are free to live life under the control and the ownership of Jesus Christ. So, as I thought through this, I asked myself a variety of questions to think through the passage. It's really the same question, I'm just asking it in different ways, but what's the result of being purchased? Or what are some of the implications of being purpose, purchased? What should happen now that I am purchase once I give my life to Christ. How can I understand those implications? What does it mean? So that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to illustrate it for you first, and then we'll get back in the text and talk about it. I have this mug here, and on the mug it says, Earth's Mightiest Heroes. Thursday night I was at the house and realized I needed this little prop. I was still trying to think of what I needed to do. So I got online to see if I could find one of these mugs. And sure enough, Walmart had it, but it said it only had one left. It was about 10 o'clock at night. So I told Denise, I said, hey, I'm going to run to Walmart because I need to get this before it, it sells out. She said, well, I'll go with you. I said, no, you don't need to go with me. I'm just running, get a wall. I'm just going to get a mug and come back. She said, no, I want to go with you because I want some pumpkin muffins. I said, okay, so we go to Walmart, we go, we get the mug, we find it, we buy it, so then we go look for some pumpkin muffins. She's all about pumpkin. Well, we couldn't find any pumpkin muffins, but she settled for some blueberry muffins. So we go back uh, to the checkout, and now we're at the, you know, the, the, the self-checkout deals, you know what I'm talking about, where you do it by yourself. Well, I have to tell you something before I continue. Anybody that's part of our family, if you know Denise really well, over the years, we have had what we call the 10 o'clock rule. We don't let Denise out in public after 10 o'clock <laughs> because she just goes wild. She's crazy. Some switch just flips, and, it, and she's just out of control. Well, over the years, that has turned into the 9 o'clock rule. <laughs> and I'm pretty certain it won't be long before it's an 8 o'clock rule. So it's, it's, it's 10 o'clock, okay? So the rule is, is hit. I'm here trying to check out and 
what I didn't realize is there's actually a, a camera, but behind me, I, I hear all this snickering and all this giggling and this laughing, and she's kind of bumping up next to me. And so I turn around and said, what are you doing? Well, there's a camera on this thing, checkout, but there's also a screen in the top right-hand corner so you can see yourself. And so Denise is up behind me just making all these stupid faces behind me and being goofy and just giggling like she's cracking herself up. And I'm going, what are you doing? She said, Denise, what are you doing? She said, well, you know there's a security person in there watching, so I'm just going to entertain him. <laughs> well, while she's doing that, there's a security person back here kind of guarding all this stuff, you know, watching. Well, she gets, I don't know, irritated or something. She's real tall. Anyway, she sees Denise, and so she comes walking up, you know, going to do something. Well, Denise is so out of control, she just starts to imitate the security guard. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, we've got to get out of here. We're going to get thrown out of Walmart. I could just see the headlines on Friday morning's paper. You know, pastor and wife gets kicked out of Walmart, disorderly conduct, or, or pastor's wife and security guard rumble in Walmart. You know, who knows? That had nothing to do with what I'm fixing to say, but... I had, to, I had to share it anyway. So we're at my buy this mug, okay? And it's important because the, the, the mug is significant. It's an illustration. Remember, it says, Earth's Mightiest Heroes. It's just a bunch of words, okay? But once I pour some water into this mug, you're going to begin to see a change. It's going to take a little bit of time, so I'm going to let you look at it. It's going to take just a moment. But you're going to begin to see it change, and pretty soon the words are going to disappear, and you're actually going to see one of Earth's mightiest heroes, Thor. <laughs> so the words are going to disappear, and all of a sudden Thor is going to emerge. Here's the picture of what's taking place when it says we are bought at a price, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We bought the mug. The mug is filled, and there's an interactive relationship that takes place. There's an interaction between the mug and what is actually inside the mug that changes the mug. It completely changes the appearance of the mug. Can you see Thor now? Do you see the change? That's exactly what this passage is talking about. The change that is made once you're filled. Now, let's go back to the text and see if we can can describe it this way. When you think about the concept of a real purchase that he bought, he bought us and that he fills us, I want you to think of three words. The first word is restoration. If you look back in verse 11, he says, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. So you were washed, which means you were cleansed. You were cleansed from sin. The stain of sin has been removed. It was red as crimson, but now I've been washed white as snow. It says that you're sanctified, which means you're made holy. You're declared holy. And you are justified. Your debt has been paid in full. It is just as if you've never sinned. So this purchase has brought about restoration. In other words, we are now in right relationship with God. We have now moved from darkness to light and from death to life. We've been moved from enmity with God to friendship with God. 
We've been moved from brokenness to wholeness, and we've been moved from bondage to freedom. There's been a change and a restoration that has taken place. And what this says is it's a combined effort between the work of Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit, which makes sense because they are God. They are three in one. They are all, we won't talk about the Trinity this morning, but they're all God, so they work together through the substitutionary death of Christ in that work, but also the infilling and dwelling of the work of the Holy Spirit. He brings restoration. So first, being bought and being the temple means restoration. There's restoration that's taking place. Here's the second word. Residence. Think residence. Verse 19 says your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, obviously, this is figurative language, but even the pagans who had no Jewish background would understand this a little bit because they had pagan temples that they worshiped in. So they understood that a temple is a place of sacrifice. It's a place of worship. It's where their God, you know, did their thing. But Paul's coming from the Jewish perspective, and he's really making the analogy from the Jewish temple was a place of sacrifice and a place of worship, a place of service. But most importantly, it's the place of God's presence where God dwelt. And the Greek word is really referring to the most holy place, the holy place or the holy of holies. It's not talking about the entire temple complex, but the holy place. In other words, you are the most holy place that God dwells with his spirit. And the root word of temple actually means to dwell. So this amazing and mystical thing happens that when we come to Christ, he actually dwells within us. Now, what that means, the fact that the Spirit lives in us means that God himself lives in us. That means God's power lives in us. God's wisdom resides in us. God's grace resides in us. God's freedom resides in us. His comfort resides resides in us. The fact that the temple is the temple of the Holy Spirit, that means I have the fruit of the Spirit residing in me. I just need to nourish it so that it'll flourish. I have gifts of the Spirit that reside in me. I just need to discover them and to develop them and demonstrate them. All of that lives within me. So the point really that he's making here is that God resides in you. If you've given your life to Christ, God resides in you the way He resided in the temple. And here he's talking about Shekinah. He's talking about the glory of God in the temple. In Exodus 40, verse 34, this is actually talking about the tabernacle, which was the precursor for the temple. That after Moses finished the work of setting up the temple, the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter because the cloud settled on it. The glory of God filled it. In 2 Chronicles 5, 13 and 14, speaking about the temple, it says the temple of the Lord was filled with a cloud and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the temple. There was this sense of an overwhelming presence that filled the temple and that's exactly what he's talking about for us. Now what's interesting is, is these two structures, they were just really ordinary structures. They were made out of ordinary things. The temple was made out of a tent, nothing really special. Now, the temple, the, the temple was, was very ornate with gold and wood and with priceless metal, but there were other structures made out of that same stuff. What made the temple and the tabernacle so special was the presence of God because the presence of God took something 
and moved it from being ordinary to being extraordinary. And that's exactly the idea that he's trying to paint here is that we are very ordinary. But when the Spirit of God fills us and indwells us and resides in us, it changes what is ordinary to something very extraordinary. And he wants you to experience that extraordinary concept because you have been filled with the Holy Spirit just like the temple was filled with the presence of God. So really what that means when we're talking about residence, really what he's saying is the concept goes beyond just residence, but it goes to filling. Not that he simply resides in you, but that he fills you. Ephesians 5, 8 says, don't be drunk on wine. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Continue to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That means to be controlled by, to be dominated by. Remember, we have a new owner. That's what it's talking about, to be controlled by. It means to be under the influence of or to be completely saturated by. That's really what he's talking about, is us as the one who the Spirit lives in, that we would be completely saturated by the Spirit of God. That's why Ephesians says, don't grieve the Spirit. That's why 1 Thessalonians says, don't quench the Spirit. Because he's trying to say, let the Spirit of God dwell in you so fully that you are filled with the presence of the Lord. And now you're able to do what he wants to do. He changes you. And when you're filled with the Spirit of the Lord, there's this interactive thing that's taking place that he is changing you. Just like he changed that mug. So that's the concept he's talking about here. So here are the first two words. To be bought, to be the temple, it's about restoration. It's also about residence. But there's a third word, and that's relationship. It's all about a relationship with God. Verse 20 says, therefore. So you've got to remember, anytime you see a therefore, you've got to see what the therefore is there for. <laughs> the therefore is referring to what was said previously. Because you were bought at a price. Because you're no longer your own. Because you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Here's what you should do. Therefore, honor God with your body. Now, the word honor here means to glorify or give praise. And the body here, it, it does mean body. But it's really talking about a physical component. In other words, there is a physical component to my spirituality and my relationship with Christ. It's not just a spiritual thing. My morality matters. How I live matters. What I do with my body matters. What I do in this physical realm makes a difference, and I'm supposed to do everything in a way that honors Christ. That's why he says in chapter 10, verse 31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the honor of God because the physical matters. Now, you have to remember the immediate context of this passage that we're looking at. The immediate context with the Corinthians is sexual immorality. So because of that, this temple illustration is perfect because in Corinth, there was the temple of Aphrodite. And Aphrodite was the goddess of love and beauty and passion, and pleasure, and procreation. 
And so as a part of that worship, sexual immorality was seen as consecration rather than desecration. So they had temple prostitutes. And so being involved in sexual immorality was a point of consecration, an act of worship that was supposed to connect you closer to that temple God. And Paul is saying just the opposite is true. That sexual immorality is not consecration, it's desecration because it matters what you do with your body. But this also spoke to the Gnostics of that time, which was a group that believed that the, the spirituality and, and even following Christ was a spiritual thing. It wasn't a physical thing because the Spirit of God lives in the spirit of man, so the spirit is all that matters. The, the body's irrelevant. What you do with your body's irrelevant. So do whatever you want to. And Paul's saying, no, that's not true. You're to honor God, even with your body. Everything that you do matters so that you have this relationship with God. So when we talk about this dynamic, the temple of the Holy Spirit being where God dwells, we're not simply talking about the, the structure of the temple, but we're actually talking about everything that's in the temple. This is the analogy that he's trying to make. Everything in the temple was consecrated. In Exodus 40, if you read that whole chapter, you'll see that it's describing the tabernacle and all the furnishings and elements that went into the tabernacle, the ark, uh, the, the table, the lampstand, etc. And after he describes that, he gets to verse 9 and he says, Take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and everything in it. Consecrate it and all its furnishings and it will be holy. In 1 Kings, you see where the temple is, is being dedicated and consecrated and sacrifice offered. And that's given so that everything, the temple and everything in the temple would be made holy and consecrated. Here's what he's saying. It's not just the temple that was set apart and holy, but, it's, but all the utensils. None of the utensils and the elements and the furnishings of the temple could be used for anything else no common use. You couldn't take this stuff and go home and eat with it or do anything at home with it. It stayed in the temple because it's been consecrated. It's been dedicated. It's been given to the Lord. It's been made holy, if you will. The very same way when it says the Spirit comes in us and we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that means every aspect of our life now has been made holy. Everything we do, everything that we say, every aspect of our life needs to understand and be under the influence of the Holy Spirit because everything needs to be consecrated. That's what he said in verse 11 that we read earlier. We are sanctified. We've been made holy. When you give your life to Christ and he buys you and he fills you, he sanctifies you. And that means to make holy, which literally means to set apart. And there's two dimensions to being set apart. One is to be set apart from, and the other is to be set apart to. So everything in the temple was set apart from any common use, and it was set apart to God. And the same thing is true about us. We are to be set apart from sin, so we do not participate in that. But at the same time, we're set apart to God to be used exclusively for him, to be reserved exclusively for him. So, as you look at all this, you've been bought at a price. You've been filled with the Holy Spirit. He wants to have an interactive relationship with you. 
the inference here is that we are to honor God by allowing the Holy Spirit to have his way in us. Because he resides in us, because he owns us, he has set us free. Now he wants to fill us and have complete control, complete domination, complete saturation of us so that we are totally under his influence and guided by what he wants us to do. We're going to talk a lot about that next week, more specifically about what that looks like. But for this morning, the idea is the more I do that, the more I'm changed. The more I allow the Holy Spirit to fill me and interact with me, the more he changes me from the inside out and I become extraordinary instead of ordinary. I become to be conformed to his image and to his likeness. I begin to look like and act like and become what he has created me to become. And all that happens because he buys us and then he resides in us. So it's about restoration, it's about residence, and it's about relationship. Sometime in this past year, I don't remember the timeline, the house across the street from our house uh, went up for sale. We realized it was going up for sale. The wife uh, that owned it had passed away, and come to find out, they really hadn't been living in the house, I, I think, for a year or two. I don't know how long. Uh, it was kind of you know, beat up and trashed out. You could tell that it was not well taken care of. We hadn't ever been in it. Uh, I talked to the, the man that lived there a few times. But you could just tell it wasn't taken care of. Well, once we realized that it might be for sale, and at this point I didn't know really what had happened, that the, the husband was out in the yard, so I went and started talking to him, and he told me that his wife had passed away. So we kind of talked about that a little bit. And he said, yeah, we're going to sell the house. And so I said, well, <clears throat> do you mind if we, if we went and looked at it? We thought, hey, if it's a good deal, we could sell ours and buy this one and move in it and kind of redo it. And we kind of like to do that sometimes. So he took me into the house so I could see it. It was trashed. I mean, it was trashed. There was an aroma in there. The, 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 the carpet and the flooring was all, you know, stained and bundled up and torn. And in the bathrooms, none of the, none of the fixtures worked. I mean, there was stuff in it. I don't think the sink or bath, anything had been used for, you know, how long. It was bad. One, one bathroom floor was totally gone. It was a pier and beam. There was just a big hole in the bathroom. You could just see all the way down into the ground. I mean, it was, it was in bad shape. Well, we talked about it a little bit, even got some other family members involved in it and thought, well, hey, we might buy it. Long story short, never could agree on a price. He wanted too much for the house, so we didn't buy it. Found out a few months later that the daughter of, this, of the one that passed away bought the house. So we kept waiting for, okay, something's going to go on. Nothing happened. It's been months now. I've lost track of time, but it's been months since she bought the house. She still hadn't moved in the house. So because of that, the house is still trashed. <laughs> Nothing's been done. She bought it, but she didn't reside in it, and she hadn't done anything to it. Nothing's happened. This is the exact opposite of what Christ does when he buys us and makes us his temple. The very opposite takes place. See, when we are bought at a price, God doesn't simply buy us. Jesus doesn't simply save us and then leave us out there by ourselves somewhere and he stays distant and disconnected and, you, and basically you're on your own. 
By the way, when he bought all of us, we were all trashed out. We were all dead in our sin. But he bought us, but he didn't leave us trashed out. He didn't stay disconnected. What did he do? He bought us and he moved into us. And when he moved into us, he began this process of an interactive relationship where he wants to change us daily, moment by moment, day by day. So in this interaction, this real activity that he wants to take place, he changes us and remodels us and makes us new. So here's the main point for today. Let the Holy Spirit, if you know Christ, if you've given your life to Christ, let the Holy Spirit have his way. Let him do his thing. Give him complete control of your life and let him conform you into the image of Christ. Would you bow with me? Thanks for listening. We truly hope that you were blessed and encouraged. If you'd like to learn more about River Fellowship in Amarillo, Texas, go to rfamarillo.org.